0: Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno talking today with Atul Veer about embracing opposites to grow. You know the term opposites attract. And I think Atul as an entrepreneur, CEO, founder of Equator Appliances, an inventor, and an author, I think you've been successful precisely because of this sort of the opposites in your life and in your business. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of explore that with you. Welcome to Third Growth Option Podcast, Atul. Thank you,
1: Ben. I'm excited to be here. We've known each other for some time, a few years, and uh, look forward to discussing this with you.
0: I remember when we first met at a industry leadership conference in, in Chicago, and we shared a few meals together, two strangers just saying, well, you want to Share a table here, and we we just started talking. So I I I always enjoyed my conversations with you. So um, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you. So did I. It was a great conference, and see where it's led led us to.
0: That's right. That's right. So you were educated in a military school with a CPA degree, and now you're inventing consumer products and product solutions. And invention and accounting don't usually go hand in hand. So they're kind of opposites. Then you're an immigrant into the United States, which we, you know, we both are. So that makes us sort of people looking from the outside in. But then in your company, you're also listening to your customers and creating order from the inside of your company out. So it's this divergent, convergent balancing act that I think is what innovation really is about and, and, and what growth is about. Should we start with? We both like Steve Jobs. How has Steve Jobs inspired decisions in your life and in, in, in your business?
1: But Steve Jobs was a very unique individual and if you look at his life, I mean he himself was adopted and he had to deal with situations in his life, you know. But he was able to grasp the situation and understand customers, and that is what he's taught us all. That as opposed to most companies, or people, they say, well, I've developed a product and let me see how I can sell it or develop it. Or like most, and that's the way most engineers think. He was a complete marketing guy and he listened to customers and he focused it the other way around, which is what do my customers want? And how can I develop products to make this customer happy? And once one, once, I mean, many of us have read his book, the biography. And uh, so we, and of course we've, if you're a certain age, we've lived through the same, Life is him, and so we've been part of his story. So we, we understand where that's coming from, and he was uh, an outlier in the industry and had to step into it, but this is a very unique, unique skill that he had in knowing what customers wanted and where the industry was headed and be able to forecast and understand intuitively what the customer wanted even before customers knew a product existed, or there was even such a technology. And that is a great lesson
0: for all of us. You write about a mentor of yours who said something almost identical to what one of my mentors said to me, which is this, this idea of keep your eyes open and, and your ears to the ground. When you're talking about Steve Jobs, he imagined what the consumer might want just by listening, by looking, by watching, by spending extraordinary amounts of time in stores, and competitor stores, looking what everybody else is doing, really open eyes and open ears. And, you know, so many people talk about, well, we have to do research and research is important. But the problem with research is that it sort of gets you the information that is in people's heads consciously today, and it's like the old Henry Ford adage, if I had asked them what kind of car they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse, right? How has this concept of open eyes and ears played a role in in your business? I think for most businesses,
1: and mine also, I mean, you have to keep an eye out for your competitors, what's the technology out there. You also, nowadays, you have supply chain issues, whether it's ships or container prices you have government regulations things like tariffs you have other curveballs like the pandemic coming your way and what's happening in different countries and different regulations many of us have products made in asia where they have different set of regulations for controlling the pandemic and how that can affect the ports and production and things so there are it's so the the keeping your eyes open and your ears to the ground that uh, saying is important, so important now more than ever for many of us who are involved, I guess, in any business. In our case, it's international trade and product design, where it sort of escalated in the last few years to a very high level. Apart from business being risky as it is in trying to worry about what you're going to make and what your customers are going to buy and how you can be competitive. Now you have a whole new area of trying to worry about these things, which one didn't need to worry about. Products were produced, they were shipped, they were stored, and then you worried more about how you're going to sell them. They sort of escalated the whole involvement and we all need to be aware of it. And that's the only way to stay ahead. There are many companies in our line of business or let's say product, whatever, uh, let's say consumer products, you know, uh, who have not been able to succeed for some reason or the other. You know, who are focusing mainly on just in time and, with the, you know, and as most of us did, because after all, there is limited capital to keep producing and investing in product and inventory does cost money. So, but one needed to get over that mindset to be able to realize that this, what was happening in the last few years was a different kind of crisis, not something not normal, and to scale up to deal with that. So I think it was very important. And that's one of the first lessons I learned. You mentioned about going to a military school. And yes, it was very rigid and uh, studying accounting. And on top of that, I came from a military family. My father was a naval officer. So we had that kind of discipline and rigidity and expectations in our home as well. And so I had a good job. And then, you know, I had to make a new start and then starting off as an immigrant where coming to the U.S. particularly where your overseas degrees Including postgraduate de- degrees are meaningless, so you have <laughs> right.
0: to start afresh. You know. Welcome to the United uh, States. Yes, your degree yes. doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: so that throws everything out, and particularly if you come and uh, as I came a little bit later in life, was married with a child, you have to sort of jumpstart things to earn a living. So you have to fast track that, and uh, so you learn. So I, I learned from you know just so I set up a company and learned on the job.
0: I mean, was that sort of. A shock inside. You said military family, so are you sort of an outlier as an entrepreneur inside a military family?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, most military families, or let's say professional families, whether one is in uh, working for companies or military, you have the expectation that your kids will have a good education and get a good job, and you know it's a very stable lifestyle. And a business and, and business is a completely different scope. Which it needs are uh, not predictable, and so there are business families uh, who do business, and it's handed down from family, you know, from let's say generation to generation. And the dinner table talk is about the problems and dealing with the economy and the you know various situations that can happen. Our dinner table talk was quite different. It was not, nothing. We never talked about money. I guess the the culturally it's quite different, and, the, and one can even say values are different the way you look at things. So I was the first person in my family to become a business person. So I had to learn a lot of things. I mean, including the ethics of business and what is right and what is wrong. How far do you chase for your dreams, uh, your, your dreams to make them happen? What is most important? Is it your customer? Is it profits? There are many stakeholders like your employees and your bankers, your financiers, your, you know, your vendors. There's so many stakes. So all this had to be learned, even though I studied them in, in business school. But you, you studied them from a perspective of I'm going to work for a company and be a manager. And yes, it's theoretical. And there's always a structure. You join a company, there's a structure, you follow the structure and in, innovate. But here I had to set up from scratch. When I opened my office on the first day, April 1st, 1991, I opened my office. I was all alone in the office, and I looked out out of the window, and I said, now what am I going to do?
0: (laughs) That's a picture, (laughs) it. Me, myself, and I sitting in the office. (laughs) Me and my empire.
1: (laughs) That's right. That's right. So you can just imagine and visualize, and at the end of the day, you have to make it happen. You have to find a product or a widget or a service that you believe somebody is going to want to buy and then you work backwards from there well how do I make this product that I believe somebody is going to buy and then you risk everything in my case as an immigrant I didn't have credit cards and so on so I had to figure out how to get that it took me some time to understand the system which essentially means that be credit worthy you need to get a credit card or have some credit and don't pay it off so you are established as somebody who has credit and who is paying it in time. And that leads you to more and more credit. And actually, I got credit cards and cashed out $25,000 worth of credit cards to buy my first container of washing machines you put everything on the
0: line. So, And that is back when interest rates were a little bit higher than they are right now, if I recall, in the early 90s, right? I mean, you, you were paying double digits in interest at least, right?
1: Yeah, I think eleven, thirteen percent, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know? See,
0: so. remember? <laughs> sure I, yes,
1: I think it was 1993 or ninety four. We just completed thirty one years uh, of business, but it took a couple of years to figure all that out. Yeah.
0: Right, right. So you talk about product development, and you know, from the customer, sort of reverse engineering from the customer back into the engineering of the actual product, and. I read in an article about you where you talk about how the consumer expectation around product design has really changed. There's sort of a generational divide, you know, baby boomers want everything just with an on-off button, nothing complicated. They don't mind looking at a manual, you know, reading a five-page manual before they start using it, whereas millennial and and, and younger generations are sort of the opposite. Like they don't mind the comp- complexity and on the product sort of replacing the on off button with an app with you know like things that are more complicated than turning on the tv in 1972 but then as far as a manual don't even get them started they don't want a manual did i describe that correctly kind of what you're facing in in the generational divide in, in terms of product development
1: Yes, we're seeing that. But uh, going back to history, you know, when we first started off, it was so we, we've seen a transition, you know, the last 30 years, has seen a huge transition from where we started when the company started, we had manual ledgers and computers, uh, let's say, financial software for small businesses, but just starting off then. And to have this whole other extreme where you have things in the cloud and you know blogs and everybody's you know twitter and so on that's the other extreme now where everybody has a voice so when we started off it was it was a basic understanding of what does a customer want and how can we produce it to make the customer happy but as we've gone on you can say almost by decade the the you know the 90s were different to the say 2010s and now we are even the fourth decade now we are finding that every decade has sort of been defined uh, by a sort of almost like a leap in the technology and the expectations as well. And yes, you're right, Tika, where we have reached now, we have the extremes. You have the baby boomers and the seniors who prefer knobs and simple buttons, and the less buttons, the better, because you want the product to do it. The product should be smart enough to do things, you know, instead of having 30 buttons, it has... Everything is programmed in there and you have three or four buttons, basic buttons. And the machine should be, I wouldn't say smart enough, but should be technologically able to do it and don't waste our time in doing, you know, sort of redundant uh, features which should be taken care of. So that is the expectation, uh, which is again different to some years ago where it was cool to have 30 buttons. If you recall the old cassette players and so on, they had many, many buttons. So that's one side, but the new gen, the seniors, baby boomers want that. And on the other side, the millennials want everything to be Wi-Fi and controllable and nobody wants to read a manual. Why go far? I bought a new television a couple of years ago. I s- decided to test this theory myself. And I said, let me see how simple this product is. And I put it up and I plugged it in and i light, uh, you know, the, the, the sign that came up and he says follow these instructions and go next, next, next. And voila, in five minutes, I had set it up without once touching the manual. And that was a revelation for me that even in my case, that I was no different uh, in in expectations. And I would have certainly said if I had to read the manual, it would have been frustrating for me, you know, but I was very impressed with that. And that led to a major design change in our company. You know, we said, So to change an appliance is different because it's not it's not just electronic programming on a TV or a computer. It's a physical machine that you have to... So if you can imagine a washing machine, there are shipping bolts and there are, you know, things to be plugged and unplugged and various things to be done to set it up. And even on a control panel, how do you operate it? So we had to completely change our thinking that by looking at a control panel, somebody will be able to operate this machine. Of course, we have a 30-page manual, but uh, going back to Steve Jobs and the iPhone and so on, the iPhone does not have a manual. It is intuitive, and it's only, what, three or four buttons over there. So intuitively, you should know how to use it. And that is, I I would say, the gold standard of what we are all aspiring towards.
0: So you've been in business 31 years. Your company is a global company. You have a few dozen employees in the in the states and and i think far more overseas in various countries uh you're producing in various countries you're selling on several continents and you've grown a lot and you've you've almost i think you doubled your company size in the last few years
1: that's correct yes
0: I love the way w- in which he said that. Actually, there, there was a, there, there was there was some pride in that, and uh, well deserved uh, congratulations. That's amazing to double within a couple of years. As I recall, telling a vendor many many years ago, and in a late night email, that is tough on the molecular structure, right? When you're growing so fast, but how do you keep your team focused? So back to this theme of opposites right on the one hand you have to keep your team unfocused and o- you know open eyes and ears is sort of the opposite of being focused right you're just being wide open divergent listen and then on the other hand you have to get yourself and your team to be convergent and to focus in on, you know, we can't do everything that every customer wants. We need to do a few things that a few customers want and do that extremely well. How do you balance that?
1: It's quite a juggling act. And uh, let me say there's no science to it, you know. You mentioned the the growth of the last few years and our company, like any other company, has had challenges along the way, including Let's say recession, 2008, nine recession, and we managed to make it out of there. And, but it did uh, impact the company. And so what it actually taught me was that despite what one's intentions, you cannot control all the forces. There are other forces beyond you, you know, government forces, recession and so on, which affect supply and demand, production, lots of things, you know, especially let's say, access to capital. So it seemed like when the pandemic, all, all those trials and tribulations, had a particular purpose. I mean, when the pandemic hit, I mean, it's almost seemed like we were ready because we were able to go into action and make the necessary changes in forecasting for chips and investing in more tooling. And also it created new opportunities with the pandemic because we are, everybody's now talking about health and wellness and safety and air quality and all those things. And they created new opportunities for, for the company, but also that is our expertise. And now we have an obligation to our customers to produce products that keep them safe. So it is the double edged thinking happened that happened there. But in this growth, yes, we, we, we expanded. We are, we are launching products at the rate of one new product every month. And that is a huge amount of R and D and testing. It takes about a year to develop a new product, let's say from conception to launch. So if we have about if you're launching one every month, you can imagine the involvement and testing because it you know has to go through a process, uh, you know, a 30-step process before uh, it's actually launched and which is written down and how it's how this is being done with various teams being involved. Of course, we've employed more people and we've opened a few new departments. You know, like the R and D department has been formalized with more people, and you know, the forecasting department, which is almost like a supply chain. and how do you forecast the different types of uh, production lead times and issues and seasonal changes and so on but most importantly I tell my team I try to define each team with a one line explanation what is the definition of that team whether it's customer service or customer care or R&D or marketing sales accounting there's one line that defines them and always it's linked to something with the customer So the purpose of the customer care team is to take care of the customer. The purpose of the logistics team, domestic logistics team, is to deliver products safely and on time to the customer. So it becomes very clear that it's not that (laughs) there's a theme here. (laughs) Yeah, it's not trying to make me happy or whatever. And people come and say this problem. And I said, is it beneficial for the customer? If it's not, then don't do it, you know? I mean, so you, obviously in a company, I don't know everything and things are going on and like we're talking here, but products are being bought. They're being they're being shipped. There are a lot of things are happening. So I don't know a lot of stuff, but that gives them a guideline to always keep the customer in mind in making those kinds of decisions. And it's even sometimes if it costs the company money, you know, it costs us a little bit more to do something, which frequently happens in these changing times, you know?
0: It sounds like, The balancing act of embracing these opposites, right? Coming from a military family with a CPA degree, becoming an inventor of, you know, highly innovative appliances, and the balancing act of being an entrepreneur and driving phenomenal growth over the 30 years, and especially in the last few years, and being profitable. You know, it's one thing to Grow growth costs a lot of money. So it's one thing to grow another thing to grow profitably. It sounds like the thing that keeps you focused and keeps you well balanced navigating through these opposites is, is the philosophy of being customer centric.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, that's one of the things I learned that you can never beat the market and you can never beat the customer. And I'm not saying it just as an empty saying that the customer is always right. Sometimes the customer is not right. But I think they do abuse certain situations with returns and so on. And we're dealing with that. But generally speaking, it keeps us focused because we say a customer is not going to buy a product that they don't want. A customer is not going to keep a product that they don't want. And we see this in the industry with lots of issues. so we we have to be very focused on that. And I think it has kept us grounded. Many of our employees have been with the company for uh, 15, 20 years, and they realize that the times you can have good good times or bad times. And now, of course, in this time, even though we're doing well, we already feel the winds of recession and so on starting to be talked about, you know. And uh, so the only way to stay ahead of the game is to continue with the innovation and to develop products that can see us through the recession, manage our inventory well, make products that are create more value, that if people are concerned about their livelihood, they're still going to buy it, you know, but it's applicable. So the situation next year at this time may be quite different to what we're dealing with uh, right now. So we have to be able to forecast that. And, but nobody has a clear answer. Yeah. As to what it is, you know, there's too many. I mean, why go far? Just two months ago, there was, there was no war. There were certain things to worry about. And 60 days later, now we have gas prices and a war and the implications of all those global events that may affect us, you know, shipping and so on. So
0: as you said earlier, despite our best intentions, we cannot control all the forces around us, right? That's correct.
1: We want to do certain things, but I think when I was a younger, one believed one could because people believe that entrepreneurs right. <laughs> are in a, you know, you, oh, you're so lucky. You work for yourself. You make decisions for yourself. You don't have to report to anybody else. And, you know, you're so lucky. But actually you come to realize that entrepreneurs do report to a lot of people. I report actually in some ways to my employees because I depend on them and uh, I need them to work effectively and do a good job, which means I'm also a little bit at ease and it keeps going down the pyramid that each person needs to do what's expected of them. You will report to your, your financiers and whoever your investors, bankers are. You're accountable to them to deliver whatever they've expected. You, you're accountable to your customers. Everybody, you know, can say, you know, whatever they want. And most people, when they buy a product now, they don't really express thanks. Very few say they're happy with the product because nowadays people say, I saw your product, whatever it is, it's a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and I paid for it and I got what I expected to receive. So what's the big deal? Well, they don't realize all the work that, that uh, went into it, but fair enough. That's a, I understand that argument. But conversely, if anybody is not happy with it, then they're the first ones to complain about it, whether, whether it's a, Delivery issue or something was uh, you know was delivered a few days late or something they they did not understand when they bought it and now when they bought it they realized it was something uh, a different feature or whatever so it's a constant battle trying to keep up with those uh, with those things you know
0: you know you said you said people think you're so lucky that you're an entrepreneur or you get to work for yourself and then you listed all the sort of bosses stakeholders, bosses, like your customer or or your bank or your employees. And I think, yeah, you and I work for ourselves, but we work for the toughest boss I've ever worked for, which is myself. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. Not an easy boss to make happy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, this has been a wonderful conversation. And I love the Humility with which you approach you know your business, your employees, your customers the the product development process, and I think you have been successful partially because you're very agile and you're at ease with balancing opposites and balancing the yin and the yang that I think is required to do a good job in business so uh, congratulations for that and and thanks for being on the Third Growth Option podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Benno. It's a pleasure to uh, speak with you, and I hope the listeners enjoyed that. And uh, all I can say, my concluding statement is be ready for change. And even if you, you know, embrace it because that's all there is, just be ready, you know.
0: That's right. <laughs> Whether you're ready or not, change will be there. Thank you, To Hey, if uh, folks wanted to explore other growth topics, uh, you can find me on our website realignforresults.com or email benno, B E N N O, at realignforresults.com. I just realized I didn't give you a chance. If folks wanted to reach out to you at to how should they just look you up on, on LinkedIn or, or maybe your, I think, equatorappliances.com is your website. Do you want to give an email address or?
1: Yes, my email is atul, A-T-U-L at equatorappliances with an S, dot com. That's my direct email.
0: There you go. See, now people can reach out to you one-on-one. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Keep growing. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.